Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today's episode is brought to you in partnership with Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to see what the hype was all about. Now, I literally can't miss a day. It's the first thing I put in my body every single morning. As someone who suffers from IBS, AG1 has completely improved my gut health and allows me to have sustained energy throughout the day. And since I'm always on the go, the travel packs make it so easy to stay consistent wherever I am. Love it. I've personally been taking AG1 for a while. And as someone who lacked a multivitamin routine, AG1 has been the perfect product to mix into my morning routine. Truthfully, I was a skeptic at first as I'm with most supplements and vitamins, but I've felt noticeably better at the start of morning workouts and definitely have seen an improvement in my digestive health. I tend to mix my AG1 with two tablespoons of lemon juice and coconut water, and it's delicious. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash STW. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash STW to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Denise Woodard, founder and CEO of Partake Foods. Partake is on a mission to include everyone at the table. Their products, which currently include cookies and baking mixes, are gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, and free of the top 14 allergens. Denise started Partake because of her daughter, and she wanted everyone to feel that they could enjoy foods without worrying about allergies. We talked to Denise about the company's inception, some of her biggest struggles along the way, and how she sees Partake differentiating itself. Denise, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I'm super excited about our conversation. So for our listeners, could you give a quick intro and tell us uh, who you are? Sure thing. I'm Denise Woodard. I'm the founder and CEO of Partake Foods. Partake Foods is a natural food company that makes allergy-friendly cookies, breakfast mixes, and baking mixes, and was inspired by my daughter's experience with food allergies. So you were, and you were at um, Big CPG for a while, if I'm not mistaken, you were in the emerging ventures group at Coke. Um, what ultimately led you to decide to go all out on, on this venture and you know, leave big CPG and, and really follow kind of your entrepreneurial passion. Sure. So I had been baby stepping my way there. My dad's an entrepreneur and I'd always had a side hustle in my corporate career. I had an eBay business that ended up grossing six figures and a ticket brokering business. So I always had an entrepreneurial venture going, but nothing that I wanted to leave my career for until my family faced this personal issue with my daughter, Vivian. Um, and I think the decision was kind of made, well, slightly made for me. So I ended up entering a pitch competition pretty early on in the idea of partake. And it came with local press, which forced me to tell my 
my employer what I was doing. And they were like, we're supportive, great idea. But when you actually have product, you got to hit the road because there's a conflict of interest. So that really helped get in gear what the timeline would be. But I started to have this like interest in the natural food industry. I previously worked on like some of the trademark brands at Coca-Cola. And then as my husband and I started thinking about having a family, I didn't feel as closely aligned to those and had the opportunity to move over to venturing and emerging brands. So I got to work on brands like Zico Coconut Water and Honest Tea and got to see entrepreneurship at scale and what good could come of it. And so I think it was a combination of all of those things that led me to uh, leaving Coca-Cola to launch Partake in August of 2017. That's amazing. Uh, I want to dig a little bit deeper into Partake's product lineup and portfolio because you know, you guys started in one particular space and now you not only have all the cookies, but you have unreal baking mixes and pizza mixes and, and everything nonetheless. So can you take us through a little bit of the portfolio of products? Sure thing. So we initially launched with three SKUs of crunchy cookies that's since grown to eight SKUs of cookies. And then we also have some seasonal offerings. Um, I'm a big fan of kind of meeting the consumer where they are. And so we do have some different like food service and alternative channel options in the cookies. Um, so you can find us on airlines or in the register checkout in some stores. So I think there's a lot of white space that we need to, to cover on the cookie front. But we also do have the baking mixes, uh, which are a pizza crust, a brownie mix, um, that can be found e-com only. And then we just launched Pancake Waffle Mix into Target in January of this year. Such a such an amazing evolution. And I think for me, right, like obviously you kind of started really just trying to solve, right, this kind of allergen issue that it sounds like your daughter had. And quite boldly, right, you, you guys have the claim, you know, the top nine allergens that exist in our food chain. Are, are not part of your cookie, which makes it obviously extremely accessible to those who have the allergens. Could you just take us through? Because for me, I have no allergy issues. I don't, I'm not gluten-free, but I just love your cookies simply for the taste and because they're just like a nice indulgence. And I don't feel like I'm having to cut back on like, you know, flavor quality, even though they have these amazing functional benefits of being allergen-free, non-GMO gluten-free. Could you just take us through like the process of developing such a amazing product despite kind of really removing some of the things that a lot of consumers can't um, absorb when they eat and maybe how long it kind of took you to land kind of where the product is today? Sure. So the places where I felt like my needs as a consumer weren't being met were I didn't think the products that existed in allergy friendly tasted good to people like myself who don't have food allergies. Um, and then it felt like a lot of brands got to live under this health halo of gluten-free or vegan. But then when I looked at the label, it's actually like more sugar and gums and starches than like the stuff with the allergens. And then most of all, I felt like there was this emotional piece where my daughter wouldn't be able to confidently participate in so many social events, birthday parties, play dates, celebrations, because she would be eating something so different from her friends. And so I wanted to create a brand that was cool enough that people without food allergies like yourself would willingly choose to eat. And so thankfully that's what we've seen come to life, but we wanted to make sure that we were taking food allergies very seriously. And so our products are all free at the top nine allergens and made in a top nine allergen free facility. Um, I wish I could say I was the mastermind behind them. I had the vision of what I wanted. And then I spent hundreds of dollars and hours in the kitchen and failed horrendously. But thanks to some uh, good LinkedIn stalking, I was able to find a woman um, who had the experience necessary to help bring that vision to life. And she helped us formulate the first products and works with us to this day on everything that we launch. 
I honestly love how the story evolves from your daughter and, you know, you don't really think about it as, as not a mom or not a parent, but how much like fitting in at, at the table is so important and not having something that like stands out. I'm someone who actually does have a number of allergies and a massive partake fan over here. Um, I do want to switch gears a little bit because you guys recently went through a rebrand um, and for our listeners, you will probably only see the new packaging on the shelves now, but for a little bit that you were seeing kind of the phase out of the old ones. Can you talk about a little bit the motivation behind the rebrand and what that was like to create, you know, and evolve your product from the 2017 launch? Sure thing. So we actually had an OG packaging that I don't know if anyone outside of the New York market would have ever seen. And it was like craft paper background. And there was these icons, no nuts, no eggs, no soy. And as I did like hundreds of demos, when we first launched the feedback I would get was, you know, if I didn't have food allergies, I would never buy this because you've crossed out like everything that I think makes a cookie taste good. And so through that experience, we learned and I probably should have known this being a food allergy parent that people with food allergies look at the label no matter what every single time and so we didn't have to call all that out on the front and by calling it out we were actually turning away a lot of consumers who might otherwise be interested in our product so we updated the packaging from there to the more recent version in June of 2019 um, and wanted to create something that felt more fun and celebratory and I think the only element that stayed with our brand through the beginning are polka dots which I think are kind of fun and whimsical and classic, which is what I, I'm hoping we're creating in this brand. Um, and in that one, you know, some of the reasons that we went through the rebrand were pretty pragmatic. Like there was an arched logo. Well, we're probably going to make some stuff that's not circular shaped in the future. And so like, how do you make that work? Um, you know, as we thought about getting trademarks in other parts of the world, we realized people use the name partake, the word partake to mean eat. So you can't really trademark it in other parts of the world. And so how could we create a word mark that was, um, that was distinguishable so that we could get trademarks in other countries. And so we're actually getting really good reception on the last round of packaging at retail, but it was just some pragmatic things as the business grew. Like, you know, we had this rainbow of colors at retail on the cookies, but really there was no system behind it. And so as we started thinking about other products, like how do you know when you use a dark color or a bright color? And like, and so we really needed to systemize and create process, which we're seeing across every part of our business as the company grows. And so that was the reason for the brand refresh. We wanted to keep the same fun, bright, celebratory feels, but also have something that could evolve with us as the business grows. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I also think it's really interesting. So a lot of people think that allergen friendly and, you know, when you talk about gluten-free or dairy-free vegan, that that automatically means more expensive and thus alludes only to the natural grocer channels. But what's so fascinating about Partake, and I think a lot of the success that you've seen, you know, you guys are in conventional as well, and also in places like Trader Joe's, and you have a very omni-channel approach, your partner, your recent partnership with Sesame Street. So I think there's this, this big push for, you know, across multiple channels. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that marketing strategy that you're not just going after the, the natural, but this is something that's accessible to anyone at a price point that is available to a lot of people. Sure. So I think you hit the nail on the head, Rachel, and using the word accessible. So when we think about where we are placing our products and what partners we're looking for from a retail perspective, it's retailers that are offering a fair price that have 
large availability around the country because we know that food allergies aren't something that just exists in New York, San Francisco, LA. And so because of that, we went pretty heavy conventional um, early in the brand. So our first large retailer launch was Target nationally in May of 2020. Um, and since then, we've gone into all banners of Kroger as well as Walmart. And so, you know, while I, we don't shy away from the natural channel, our, our focus really is on conventional. And then I think about from an alternative channel, food service and online perspective, like how we, can we continue to meet consumers where they want to grocery shop or where they want to shop. And so, you know, whether that's airport concessionaires or on airlines or in workplaces, you know, I think there's an opportunity to grab revenue and grab brand awareness by going into those types of locations. Um, and similar as we think about brand partnerships, you know, one of the things that we've learned from doing the demos and talking to our consumers via social and via email and through survey work we've done is a large portion of our consumers don't have food allergies and they don't have children. And so what better partner than someone like Sesame Street to get more awareness with parents and to build more credibility there. And so, you know, I think about those like value, those properties that like, you know, have been around for decades that I've been such a huge fan of that I think align with us from mission and values perspective and the fact that they're, you know, interested in working with us. I'm like, so like my mind is still blown by that. Um, but I think it's a great opportunity for us to be able to introduce our products to new consumers um, and to, to continue to gain market share and awareness through those partnerships. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's such an important point and such a, such a strong differentiator. I feel like so many food and beverage uh, startups in the early days just feel such a strong need to go immediately into a premium price point and only into places where like they can afford it at a certain margin target. Um, and I think you've done such a great job really spreading yourself to, to more accessible kind of points of sale. I'd love to talk a little bit about kind of the challenges you faced over time with fundraising in the early days. Obviously, now you've got Circle Up on the cap table, you have Jay-Z's Mercy Fund, you have Rihanna, you have Bobby Wagner, and I know you just closed a, a fresh round pretty recently, but could you maybe take us through your fundraising journey, the ups, the downs? Um, and I think one point you made on another podcast that I listened to is just balancing taking constructive feedback versus your own kind of instinct as you build the business. So maybe just take us through both the fundraising and that kind of thought as well. Sure thing. So on the fundraise front, when we initially launched the brand, we were bootstrapped. Um, my goal was to bootstrap it as far as I could because I knew that my lack of knowledge around VC language and my lack of like invest, like my lack of network there would make it harder for me to fundraise. Um, I also fundamentally didn't think it made sense to take someone else's money to do something until I knew that like it was a good idea outside of my house. And so I probably bootstrapped it a little too far and underestimated how long and how hard it would be to raise money. So we ended up going all in financially. I emptied my 401k. I sold my engagement ring. I maxed out every credit card we had. I opened new credit cards to max those out, none of which I would recommend. But we were seeing really positive indicators at retail. At this point, we were, you know, a regional brand just in Whole Foods, Southwest region and Wegmans and here in our local New York market. But the, the signs that we were seeing were all really positive, which gave me confidence in the business. And so set out to raise a friends and family round. There's no accredited investors in my family. So I use that term loosely. It was my old colleagues, my husband's old colleagues, friends of friends. And we were able to raise about $400,000 um, that came in dribs and drabs. 
sometimes $5,000 checks, $10,000 checks. Um, so we never had all the money at one time. We were always about to run out of money, but somehow we were able to keep the lights on um, and the business continued to, to do well. And so we were able to raise a million dollar seed round of funding after nearly a hundred no's. Um, and it was led by Marcy Venture Partners. We closed that round in June of 2019 and you know, they took a large portion of it and the association association with Jay-Z and the press that came from that was super helpful for the brand. But we also got some really interesting operators and CPG executives around the table um, that would be able to be really helpful as we scaled the business. Uh, at the end of 2020, we closed a $5 million Series A. I will say that round was a lot easier to close. Um, you know, we had grown our business 10x from a revenue perspective. We had grown distribution from 350 stores to 5,000 with a team of three during COVID. And so we had some really positive tailwinds, I think. Headwinds. I always get them confused. Tailwinds. Tail, tail. Um, tailwinds. We had tailwinds at that I point. Too. <laughs> um, and so we uh, closed a $5 million Series A. Circle Up, who you mentioned, joined us, as well as Lotus Bakeries, their venture fund, and Marcy participated again. And those three groups took up about half the round, and the rest I allocated towards women and people of color or funds that specifically invest in women or people of color. Um, and then the most recent round that we did, a $10 million raise, I think very similarly, um, I did it kind of in a way that felt more true to myself, which was working with investors, I felt like were aligned with us from a mission and values perspective, um, you know, that I would be comfortable calling even when, when things inevitably don't go as well as I expect. And also when I want to like celebrate one of the wins. And, and so we, on this new round, everyone that came in um, is either an existing investor, an operator, a person of color or a woman or a fund that specifically invests in those groups. And so I'm super pleased with the, the folks that we have around the table um, and the capital that we've raised, we, which we think will get us to profitability. Love it. Such a, such a great story. I think like your tenacity and your ability to bootstrap it for so long says a lot about you, even if you did bootstrap it maybe a bit too long, kind of based off your own self-assessment, but Truly kudos to you. Um, amazing group of investors you've put together. Um, and just to uh, just another question. And so we talked a little bit before we went into the recording just about how it seems like there's always kind of good news floating around from founders on social media and LinkedIn. But in the you know at the end of the day, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the background. At what point? I'd love to understand. Did you feel like you know, there was something here, you kind of had made it and that like this really was starting to become like a, like a good business that you really were confident was going to scale in the longer term future. Like what was that kind of tipping point for you? You know, I still don't necessarily feel like we've made it. I think um, places where I felt like, you know, this, we're on to something are when we went into Whole Foods and we went into Wegmans, um, we specifically wanted to launch Whole Foods, like not in SOPAC or not in New York. We launched in Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. I wanted to really make sure that this could work outside of like the coastal areas. And Super there and, Weg and Wegmans, thank you. Um, we we started to see really strong velocity against our competitors. I personally did a ton of the demos and what I was seeing in the consumers was a large portion of them didn't have food allergies. They were buying the products because they wanted an indulgence they could feel good about because they wanted to support a woman or minority owned brand because their kids didn't have food allergies, but they wanted to be inclusive and provide a school safe snack to other kids. Um, and it really started to give me the belief that this could scale beyond just the food allergy community. Um, 
another place where I felt that inflection point of like, this is going to be something um, was, you know, after we closed that seed around of funding, a lot of the folks that said no came back and said yes. And then I started to realize that as much as founders take things personally, sometimes it's not about you. Sometimes it's about where the investor is in their life cycle or just like, some investors are just followers. Like it just, like, you know, it just depends. And like, I think I took every no so personally and really thought that meant there was something wrong with our business. And after we got the yes from Marcy and raised the seed round to see how many people came back and said, you know, actually um, that was interesting. And then I think the other big inflection point was when we launched Target, we thought we would get a really small test. And instead we got nearly the entire chain in May of 2020 as COVID had like shut down the country and our velocities were strong and they've been a phenomenal partner to us. We've since launched many seasonal items. We're launching um, a new product there this month nationally. Um, we launched our pancake waffle mix, uh, not nationally, in a subset of stores in January. Um, and so to see that a brand like ours could succeed on the shelves of a large mass retailer like Target gave me the belief that there were some legs to what we were working on. Yeah, I think two points there are so key too. Like that lead investor kind of makes a lot of the other dominoes fall a lot of the times, I think. Um, For at sure. Least, at least when I've tried to make investment decisions, like if there's no lead, I it's not personal. It's just something that obviously gives a lot of other investors confidence. And then your your deliberate decision to launch in some markets outside of the coast to further prove the concept, I think is brilliant because we had so tuned up in launching in, you know, LA, Miami, um, New York City. And then like, we might feel good because, you know, health and wellness centric consumers are buying and we're seeing good velocities, but unless we can really build velocities in the middle of the country in some of these non-target markets, we can't be totally confident that we have a brand that truly is ready to scale. So I think that's really smart. Yeah, Denise, I want to touch on what do you think is like the biggest mistake that you've made or faced during this entire process um, since inception? Not trusting my gut more. I think I spend a lot of time with like imposter syndrome and doubting myself still to this day. And for the most part, my gut has steered me to the right place. Don't get me wrong. I, I look at the data too, but I think oftentimes it's so easy to, to doubt yourself. And to your point, Daniel, about, you know, all of the highlight reels being posted to LinkedIn, you see like everyone else's like shiniest moments and you think, why, what's wrong with me? And so, um, you know, I think that's one of the biggest uh, mistakes that I've made. Um, another big mistake is kind of wishing away parts of the journey. I remember when I was selling cookies out of my car, I was like, if we could only get into Whole Foods. And then when we got into Whole Foods and Wegmans, I was like, when we launched Target and like, rather than enjoy that part of the journey, I was always moving on to the next thing. And, you know, while I didn't enjoy selling cookies out of my car per se, there was really like some fun learnings and, and actually it was quite fun some days. And like, I can't go back to that part of the journey again. So like savoring the journey, which I, I haven't done as much of that as I should. That's a great lesson that I think everyone can take a piece of that, not just if you're starting a company, but every part of your life. Um, I think it's interesting to see uh, the landscape now in the quote unquote allergen cookie market. Um, you know, it used to be very, very little options out there. And now, you know, Lesser Evil has a cookie. Hugh Kitchen has a cookie. Mmly has allergen friendly cookies. There's a lot that's on the market. What do you look at when you see other brands coming and how do you see yourselves differentiating um, in this competitive landscape now? Sure. So I think 
I'm not good at saying like headwinds, tailwinds, rising tide lifts all boats. So I think when we can get like fresh eyes in the category and people realizing that there's some exciting, better for you stuff, it helps all of the brands. I think some of our differentiators are how serious we take food allergies. Um, while some of the brands you mentioned might be allergy friendly in nature, like we take it very seriously from the facility that we're producing in to the testing that we're doing on every single batch of products to the ingredients that we're allowing to come into the facility and the supply chain that's come with those ingredients. And so food allergies are really core to who we are, which I don't think is necessarily true for some of the other ones. I think the other thing that's been interesting is as a woman owned and black owned business, um, the way that inclusivity has been woven into our brand and how well that's been received by our consumers. And so some of the ways that comes to life are, you know, our team's 90% women, 60% black. Um, we started a fellowship program alongside several HBCUs um, in 2020, and we've helped nearly 20 students, uh, 20 black students find jobs in the food and beverage industry. And so I think the way that we're showing up for communities that I think have been underrepresented and underestimated for too long um, has really resonated with consumers. And it's just authentic to who we are. Like the name Partake came from this idea of wanting to create a bigger table for people with food allergies and dietary restrictions. But through my experience as a woman, as a person of color, as a first-time founder, I'm realizing that the table needs to be much bigger for a lot of groups of people. And so how can we utilize our business as a vehicle to get there? And I think that we do that in a way that's really uh, true to, to our brand. Yeah, you couldn't, I mean, you said it, said it so well, um, and there's so much to learn there. And I think what I really appreciated there is that, you know, you don't see it necessarily as competition and taking your market share, but rather more people adding knowledge to the table so people can be informed and there can be more resources out there for people that suffer from allergies or um, severe, you know, nutrition things. Uh, I would love to transition to our part of the podcast where we like to ask you rapid fire questions and no pressure. Uh, so we'll throw some questions your way and you'll give us whatever comes to mind first. I will kick it off. What is the most creative thing you've seen or you've made or your consumers that, that they've seen made, um, using your mixes, um, thus far? Um, I've seen people make cinnamon rolls out of our pizza crust that look Ooh. so delicious. I haven't Ooh. done it yet, but I need to. <laughs> Love it. I need uh, to do that. <laughs> yeah, cinnamon rolls are my favorite thing. Favorite cookie flavor? Uh, double chocolate brownie. We have a soft baked double chocolate brownie that I love. Um, what is the biggest learning that you've taken from other big CPG? Brand is not just like your packaging and how it shows up on the shelf. It's every single touch point that a consumer has with the brand. It's how you show up at a trade show. It's how you respond to customer service emails. Brand is like live literally like every part of a company's ethos. And I don't think that small companies often um, think about it in that way, but like at Coca-Cola, we were like maniacal about it. Love it. Love it. Couldn't agree more. I, I was at PepsiCo straight out of undergrad and you're right. You definitely get that being into. Um, yes. Last question we, we love to ask all of our guests is how they subscribe to wellness. So what do you do on a weekly basis to ensure you continue living a, a healthy life personally while managing partake? 
I make sure to spend time with my friends and family. I think I used to think about wellness as a lot of like self-care, solitary. And for me, it's also very communal. It's like being around people who fill up my cup and making sure I make time to be there with them and be present. Love it. Love it. Love it. And where can our listeners learn a little bit more about Partake? Sure. You can find us across um, every social media channel at Partake Foods, TikTok and Pinterest and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and all the places um, at Partake Foods. Thank you so much, Denise. Such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Denise. Have a great one. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.